All right, Nick, per usual, guess what? I, uh, I do have a joke. And here's my question for you. Uh, why did volunteers get fired from the nonprofit juicing factory? Oh, I don't know. No? Well, turns out they couldn't concentrate. Oh, boy. <laughs> Welcome to the Using the Whole Whale podcast, where we learn from leaders about new ideas and digital strategies making a difference in the social impact world. This podcast is a proud production of Whole Whale, a B Corp digital agency. Thank you for joining us. Now, let's go learn something. This week on the Nonprofit News Feed, we have a bunch of news per usual affecting the nonprofit sector. Well, we're talking about atrocities in Sudan. We've got some uh, more ridiculousness from Twitter now X. Bernie Sanders has a plan and even more uh, about the American nurse recently kidnapped. So how's it going, Nick? It's going great, George. We want to start the podcast off today talking about a story that may not have made the top of the headlines over the past couple of weeks, but is worth your attention. And that is that humanitarians are sounding the alarm on conflict and atrocity in Sudan while donors fall short. So aid groups and international organizations are increasingly sounding the alarm and putting up warning flags on the humanitarian cost of the conflict as Sudan's civil war rages on. So on April 15th, 2023, fighting break broke out between the Sudanese Armed Forces and the Rapid Support Forces, or RSF, which is a paramilitary organization. Um, these two entities were, were united as part of an anti-democracy regime that came to power during the 2021 coup, but ruptures have emerged with civil war, violence, ethnic cleansing, uh, threatening humanitarian catastrophe in Sudan. So um, in critiques written by experts over at the New Humanitarian, um, international donors have fallen short, pledging just half of the $3 billion that the United Nations estimates is needed um, to address the crisis. Uh, and international NGOs um, and aid groups are warning about severe obstacles of providing aid, including safety concerns, uh, lack of bureaucratic cooperation from uh, the bureaucracy in Sudan, um, and severely limited humanitarian entry points via limited ports. Um, so analysts call for international NGOs to refocus those efforts because of the difficulty in access on local on-the-ground community efforts. Um, so it remains to be seen how effective that response is. Um, and George, something I think we want to talk about with our viewers is that this is happening in Sudan um, and has created tons, millions of uh, uh, displaced people, refugees um, flowing into Egypt, South Sudan even. Um, and uh, you might remember that in the 2000s, um, the, this conflict of, or uh, this conflict is a vestige of the uh, mid-2000s, the 2004, 5, 6 violence and genocide in Darfur. Um, and we wanted to highlight in this podcast, we did some Google trends research, the really sustained search interest around Sudan and Darfur in 2004, 2005, and 2006 in the United States, 
Um, and it's really stark when you juxtapose that search interest um, compared with what's happening uh, this year in which we had, uh, following the coup, um, we had a civil war break out um, in the capital city and we saw a huge spike in searches that dropped off almost immediately. Um, and now search interest uh, around uh, in, in Sudan, Darfur, Khartoum, has completely leveled off as if nothing's happening. Um, so George, this is something that we've been talking about on this podcast, which is the limited window that organizations have uh, to to entice donors here, it's on a bigger scale, right? It's the limited window that you have to entice governments, um, to politically motivate governments to solving problems. George, it seems that the attention span uh, is just getting really short across the board. What does this mean for nonprofits and uh, NGOs? Well, this is something that I think for each organization, it's very interesting to be able to look back. And again, we're on google.com slash trends if you're following on YouTube. And what we're seeing is sustained interest, certainly spikes of Darfur coming back to 2004, finally petering out like years later, but a lot of up and down there. And even for the Sudan, there was uh, peak interest uh, in and around January in 2004. Google Trends basically shows you searches uh, for interest as a proxy, right? Like if more people are searching for it, more people are probably looking for news and other pieces and other mentions. And we can change that also to news searches. And we get um, something somewhat similar, although it's a, less, a little less data in there, much more about uh, Sudan as a reference. So using web search as a proxy, you're right. This sort of, you know, I'll go with goldfish-like attention span to international incident is, um, is quite short. I can't tell because of the amount of factors to sort of put it on one. Is it like overall reduction of ability to hold national attention when it happens also matters? Let's not forget, we're also bombarded with regular Ukraine, Russia updates of international. And it's like we have a certain appetite, I think, as a, uh, as a country for this kind of thing. If I narrow the window down a little bit, you get in just even the last 12 months, because sometimes it can look uh, a little shallow looking at it, uh, that it really was a, a single spike and, and done. So unfortunately, there's going to, you know, if there is another monumental newsworthy incident uh, going on. Reporting is probably what you also need here uh, of getting these stories out to the public of what's going on uh, rather than a wall of silence. Uh, I think it's also interesting to see for international aid for organizations how that money is being distributed. I still just believe you need the folks like Global Giving uh, and other international organizations uh, operating here. But it seems like the way that they implement their funds is what they're saying. If I'm reading between the lines is that it's hard to get in there. So don't create a new footprint, but rather work with local organizations. And I think it's a little risky actually to have direct American donors give to what sounds like reputable local on the ground organizations like I'm in this and I couldn't even say like, how would I qualify, uh, you know, a reputable local organization on the ground? Uh, so you still need that operating international NGO layer, I think. Yeah, George, I think that that's exactly right. And you cite a major concern. Access is actually a huge 
is, issue in the country. It's violent. It's uh, <laughs> it's very dangerous. Um, and you know the this is a country that's still dealing with you know sanitation and hygiene concerns. Like it is a it's a humanitarian emergency on top of the humanitarian emergency. So it creates whole layers of difficulty. But I think you're right. I think that international organizations are probably working with on the ground partners, um, like providing resources. Um, a lot of the big NGOs have like implementing partners, right? So they have on the ground organizations that they'll disperse funds and resources to. So George, to your point, if you're listening and you're thinking, what can we do and donate to this? Um, the answer is essentially those local on the ground organizations are going to need to be on the front lines of this because there's some of the few with access, but the way to do it may still be by giving to some of the big NGOs that have that infrastructure to uh, safely and kind of with accountability, um, hopefully <laughs> uh, have that have that downstream um, donation to, to getting boots on the ground, not boots on the ground, um, <laughs> donor dollars on the ground essentially. But uh, the other layer of this, and I think it's, interesting to talk about is actually the um the information ecosystem is really really challenging um and it may be as simple as one of the reasons we're not hearing a ton about it is because it's really hard to get information out of the country um one aid organization that was cited in the new humanitarian article said um that they were stationed in nearby Chad. It's been weeks since they've been able to get reliable communication with their own staff in country. Um, so that's how difficult it is um, for information and news just to get out of the country. Um, so there is a, a fundamental infrastructure problem. But I think this is something that we want to keep top of mind. We talk a ton uh, about really, really big humanitarian issues um, on the podcast because that environment also affects local NGOs and nonprofits and, uh, you know, humanitarian emergencies in the news, um, whether it's Hurricane Katrina or, you know, the, the Haiti earthquake or the crisis in Ukraine actually do have an impact on how the public perceives and interacts with charities and nonprofits, I would argue, um, in general. Um, and trickle-down effects, refugees, there's now tens of thousands of Ukrainian refugees in the United States, right? They're, the trickle-down effects or uh, impacts are there. Um, so I think it's important to bring these stories to our listeners. But George, I actually want to take us into another international story. Um, and this one comes from Haiti. We've talked about Haiti on the podcast. Um, it, it's really been, <laughs> again, a humanitarian emergency on top of a humanitarian emergency. The government has... In, all uh, effect collapsed there. Um, but um, Alex Dorsainville, um, who was associated um, with a nonprofit doing ministry and, you know, aid work um, in Haiti, um, was kidnapped with her child. Um, and uh, the, the State Department is now involved. Um, uh, the U.S. State Department had previously ordered the departure of non-emergency government personnel from Haiti as the security situation deteriorated, um, and the U.S. Embassy in Haiti advised nationals to leave the country immediately. Um, so this has happened before. Um, we've talked about high-profile uh, kidnappings um, of missionaries and aid folks, many of whom 
um, especially in Haiti, uh, or the ones that are kidnapped happen to be related to um, ministries, faith-based organizations, et cetera. Um, George, uh, George, what do you make of this? I mean, this is a nurse from New Hampshire, um, nursing, you know, providing nursing care for for children um, with this with this organization. Yeah, I think the kidnappings in areas like this are probably more common than not, but it happens to be a U.S. citizen. And so we're taking national attention. Look, I think if you're a nonprofit sending people into conflict zones, I think you have to be very cognizant of, of what you're asking and, and the actual risk. I mean, if the U.S. Department of State uh, is basically saying you should be pulling out, I, I, I think you're... You're, you're frankly putting folks at more more risk than you should, and I, I think that probably won't be criticized here. You know, you, you have somebody who's uh, doing you know God's work in for this church in Haiti. That's fine until it's not, and you know the now attention resources that need to be deployed in order to make sure that your nonprofit is sending people into conflict areas when they shouldn't. Um, is is now a, nice, a national crisis. Uh, so uh, it's a this is a tough one. I really hope there you know that she's all right, obviously, um, and maybe brings attention to like, oh my gosh, if it's that unsafe there, yet you still need this much uh, international support and aid, and with the increase, frankly, of natural disasters coming at uh, a time like this, Haiti is you know definitely on the front lines of another potential hurricane as we move into hurricane season. So I think the security needs to be considered in the Maslow's hierarchy of needs when you are deploying something. And if it's not there, you can't have traditional aid deployed, especially from U.S.-based nonprofits where U.S. citizens are literally targets because they know that there's money attached to them some way. Um, I don't, you know... It's above my pay grade, though, to say, like, how how does that resolve uh, in a way that doesn't perpetuate the fact that, like, oh, let's just keep kidnapping Americans because we get big checks. That's a tough one. Yeah, it is. It is a tough one. I think when you listen to to folks, um, humanitarian folks and politicians, the, the history of aid in Haiti is really, really, really complicated. Um, there's been a ton of mismanagement. Um violence perpetrated by UN peacekeepers, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but <laughs> it's some of those same people who've been criticizing um, international aid, particularly um, 10 years ago in the, the wake of the, the earthquake, um, but as well for decades before saying the situation's actually so bad that we might have to revisit that option again. Um, so it's it's really sad to see, but um, I agree with you. It's a complicated situation, particularly for aid organizations on the ground, in which you know that that decision of whether or not to pull out, to go in, etc. Um, when you're providing life saving aid, but putting lives at risk is a really hard challenge. All right, I'm going to take us back to home from our international stories, um, and this one comes from MainePublic.org. Um, and it is about the endorsement of Bernie Sanders of a plan to create a nonprofit electric utility in Maine. Uh, Bernie Sanders is not actually <laughs> a senator from Maine, a senator from Vermont, uh, but has endorsed the idea uh, of Mainers being able to vote on whether to buy out the assets of central Maine power 
um, and create a nonprofit company with an elected board. Um, so I guess we're not privatizing power, but we're nonprofitizing power. George, what, what do we make of this one? I found it super interesting and it was just sort of hidden in amongst articles, but it's a very potent potential structure for power, which is, you know, very much becoming like that human right of access to the internet, access to power, access to heat. Um, you know, when you get into the the public good, I'd say power is up there. The also, you know, frankly, I, I'm in California and PG&E has got a woeful record of doing things like maintaining power lines while, you know, taking advantage of California citizens on uh, price pieces and also manipulating solar markets here. It is something that I'd be curious about because frankly, the, the direction of a company, the purpose of its being is shareholder value. How do I make a giant margin on this? Now, for a public resource, like I'm very curious of what that looks like when it's, you know, it's stakeholders, the public. That said, nonprofits are not the cure-all in terms of a structure. You can still have corruption embed within it because the humans, you know, look no farther than our ongoing like topics around healthcare and nonprofit healthcare, nonprofit hospitals that are going on. So by no means is it a is it a is it a fix, but you at least add levels of potential transparency and uh, a higher likelihood, hopefully, to reinvest in the infrastructure, which this country is desperately behind on any measure you want of uh, energy grid that is close to this century and or uh, has the, the best interests of the public, I would say, in, in mind. And maybe that's a, a harsh take. I'm also not super teed into the main power network <laughs> in troubles. Uh, but I, it was curious to see, and if you're digging into it, it's the Pine Tree Powers campaign manager uh, said Sanders should give Mainers confidence. Getting this endorsement from Bernie helps to show that our plan to create Pine Tree Power Company has both been constitutionally vetted and vetted by people who know it's good for working people and not shareholder profit. Um, so kind of interesting. That it is. I have never been to Maine, and I've always wanted to go, so... Um, maybe now this, this, this jolt to the system will propel me to go there, uh, talking about power in Maine, but, uh, power in Maine, uh, George, we have to talk about the main character of Twitter these days, which is unfortunately Elon Musk. Uh, this story comes from 13newsnow.com, but is reported everywhere. Um, Musk is threatening to sue um, a nonprofit that actually researched hate on Twitter. Um, so the Center for Countering Digital Hate publishes reports tracking hate speech, misinformation, et cetera, um, and has paying, been paying particular attention uh, to what's been happening on Twitter. Um, but Musk lashed out at them, threatening to sue them. Um, <laughs> this comes as Musk uh, has rebranded Twitter which is, I, I guess, no longer Twitter into X, um, the letter. Uh, George, it seems like a mess over there. Um, I think that I, I don't even really know what to say other than Musk seems to kind of be like a, like a kid who's kind of gets what he wants and there's not a lot of people to tell him no. Um, but suing nonprofits for doing social media research, that's, that's not, in my mind, acceptable, uh, especially... Uh, Facebook recognizes <laughs> the need to, to research and, you know, is much more engaging on this. Uh, 
Musk's attitude towards misinformation and harm and disinformation is just so blase. It's it's ridiculous. Yeah, it's just fascinating to watch someone do this amount of mental gymnastics where you're this much of a free speech advocate yet when that speech is against something you do, you'd like to use the power of the law to silence them. Um, It's hard. I mean, that's Olympic level gymnastics. Um, And, you know, hats off to you. Um, That's, that's an impressive mental feat. Uh, I hope he does push through. I hope he brings the hypocrisy to the higher court and watches what the legal system does to, you know, another billion dollars. What does it matter to the guy? Uh, you know, I think he should stick to rocket science and leave social science alone. I think that is a good tagline. Um, I guess we have to talk about it. George, what's a nonprofits? <laughs> You're a nonprofit social media manager. What are you thinking right now about Twitter X? Do you leave? Do you not leave threads? What the hell is happening? What, what, what do you do? Yeah. So currently we also added a new resource on Holwell that sort of tracks the Twitter now X versus threads. Threads clearly had a hundred million in the first week uh, adoption. They're now, uh, the dust is settling and we're seeing like a little bit lower than a 50%, uh, retention in terms of usage yet. There's, it's very feature light. And so now they're going to be adding in more elements of features, a higher, um, seems like pull through of content between threads and um, Instagram. So other things that are leaning a little bit still more towards threads is that uh, they haven't even implemented a, a desktop application. Uh, there's now limits of content access on Twitter of scrolling, a limit of a thousand tweets per day. And there's longer video length on threads, which is interesting potential as a video piece. The character limits are different. The 500 character count limit on verified (laughs) Twitter users have a maximum of 280 characters verified uh, who pay $8 a month, get 25,000 character limit. And I, I'd say it's a very shaky platform, frankly, and you might, X is a shaky platform. Um, and threads is completely unproven and it's not clear how it will develop. I would say to play around and experiment on it is worthwhile locking in your, uh, account certainly connected with Instagram makes a whole lot of sense, uh, right now in terms of engagement, it depends on the niche that you're playing in, but there is definite positive algorithm bump. It seems to more uplifting or positive type information than, than Twitter, which is, you know, seems to decay toward rage, uh, the, the, the rage posting and ability to like engage that conversation, but only because you have the you know, the, the back and forth of left and right fighting. Uh, so I would say that's currently where we are watching closely on that retention number. Frankly, if you can't retain them, it's pointless. It's a sinking ship. Uh, but Facebook has a lot more arrows in the quiver, it seems, for for doing this. And uh, Elon's ability to consistently step in it is impressive. Uh, and so he is doing that platform zero favors. And there's no other, you know, if you're going to talk about Discord, it's too niche. If you're going to talk about uh, Mastodon, it's it's too eclectic. It, it, there's just no other Twitter killer out there like Threads right now. So worthwhile paying attention to it. Yeah, no, George, I think that that's a good analysis. I think also it's 
it's a little bit of it's still developing, right? It's a wait and see how uh, how this all shakes out. I don't even know did did threads exist last year? Was that something that that Zuckerberg's been planning, or is it just kind of like a hey, I see an opportunity? How quickly can we get this thing up? And boom, now it here it yeah, is. No, it I don't a, really know, but it was a skunk works. It was like twenty thirty people just hustling to do it. It was only last fall. And yeah, he, he was planning. He saw the, he saw the opportunity, um, to, to attack. And, you know, he has either sort of, he, he has stolen, I'd say every single part of that platform systematically. Uh, but he's really good at executing. Um, and, and that's, you know, a difference. You don't have to have a single original thought. If you're good at execution, uh, you, you can do a lot. Um, I think it should also be noted that there's uh, far more folks on in terms of trust and safety uh, for mm. Facebook. I mean, literally, they're 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 releasing, they're openly releasing Llama models, which are these trained LLMs, large language models, to the public onto um, you know platforms like Hugging Face that anyone can access. Right? They have the ability to do very, very, very intelligent uh, AI machine learning, and more importantly, trust and safety work with those tools. While uh, you know, I, unclear Twitter, you know, Elon's pretending like he's going to create a, um, uh, an AI company next because that's the flavor of the week. But, you know, the, my, my trust sort of in Facebook's ability to manage the moderation task that a large network is, is, is far superior than, than on Twitter slash X. I agree. I agree. Facebook has infinitely more resources even they have a global infrastructure for trust and safety which we we can talk about um definitely deserves criticism but at least you know in the year 2023 um those systems are far far superior to, to almost any other platform really um at this point in terms of robustness um but george i want to take us away from the sinking ship that is twitter <laughs> and the tweet storm of their own creation um and bring us to a piece of Good news in our feel good story of the week. And we want to talk about a Utah nonprofit called Jump the Moon, which is propelling artists with disabilities, such, such as muscular dystrophy, forward with adaptive technology. Um, so, this article from um, DeseretNews.com um, highlights uh, how artists are able to uh, take advantage of Jump the Moon's innovative, uh, almost like Jerry rig devices um, that folks who are in wheelchairs or have other disabilities can also produce art. Um, and we love art. Um, and we have some really cool, bright, um, fun arts and some bright smiles um, in this article. So a feel-good story to uh, cap off um, <laughs> a pretty intense podcast episode. Yeah, really clever innovation here for uh, making art accessible. And really cool pieces, actually. You should check that article out. All right, Nick, per usual, guess what? I, uh, I do have a joke. And here's my question for you. Uh, why did volunteers get fired from the nonprofit juicing factory? Oh, I don't know. No? Well, turns out they couldn't concentrate. Oh, boy. <laughs> Oof. Oh goodness. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. <laughs> that was that was the worst one. 
but I enjoyed it. There you <laughs> and go. I don't know what that that's says what about for. either of us. <laughs> yeah, that's what you get for making it to the end. Although I've been putting the jokes at the beginning now, so you you can't escape them. I'm just I'm trying it out. I'm like, oh, that's a funny piece. <laughs> All right, Nick. Uh, I'll I'll see you out there. All right. Thanks, George. This has been Using the Whole Whale podcast. If you want to keep learning more about these topics and others, head on over to wholewhale.com university to keep learning with us. Thanks as always to gregthomasmusic.org for his tunes that underwrite our tracks. They're fantastic. Hope you're doing well, Greg. And just a reminder, subscribes really help us on any platform that you listen to us on. Please give a thought to click and subscribe and maybe even a comment because we like hearing from you. 